I do a piece every Sunday morning, Dan. And it's just one short piece. It's like a long blog, but it always involves a story. In this last week's edition of that, I told about going with my wife and my brother and sister-in-law out to Leapers Fork, just outside of Franklin here. And we had lunch at Joe's, Joe's Natural Foods. Well, Joe, in getting to talk to Joe, Joe was a hedge fund manager on Wall Street. His wife was a litigation attorney. They were making incredible amounts of money, but they thought something was missing and they discovered a new kind of rich. Now they wake up to the rooster at 4.30 a.m. trying to imitate Pavarotti, according to Joe, (laughs) and hearing the other 50 animals they have on their farm. And I go through, you know, how they've discovered a new kind of rich. I said, you may have a richness in your life that you haven't yet recognized. You may be a failure by other people's standards, yet be an amazing success as a husband or daddy, as an example. But just a short story like that leads right into really profound principles. And then people remember the principles because it's connected to that guy that was a hedge fund manager. And now he wakes up with a rooster because they don't even use air conditioning. They get their windows open year round. <laughs> That's awesome. That is a great one. That's a good connection. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm glad you're joining us today. I'm so happy you're here. In today's episode, we're talking with Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love, 48days.com. We're talking to Dan about his craft, about his successes, his stumbles, maybe. Uh, in other words, his story. And before we get into today's conversation, just a reminder to find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, how to contact us, and for other resources available for you to tell your story better. If you like what we're, what we're doing here, please leave us a review. It helps us to reach new storytellers always. And if you don't like it, walk away. <laughs> Thank you to Podcast Pilot and to Casterly for supporting this movement so early on. If you want experts on the podcast world, like how to start your very own podcast, talk to the teams headed up by the legendary Jamie J. Now, let's get to the stories. So yeah, thanks for joining us today, Dan. It's a pleasure. I've um, uh, been a fan for a while, so I'm happy to have you on our on our podcast today. Well, thanks. I'm delighted to be your guest. So as I was uh, thinking about who to ask for the writer's season, you came into mind because um, I love the day 48 days, the work you love. And I just love that you're... It's, it's more than that. You know, you've written three books, obviously, and you do a ton of writing in general, your courses, this kind of thing. And so I was looking forward to kind of diving into your head a little bit and your process what you love about writing and on that kind of stuff. But I always like to start with uh, the first question because I feel like writers can be anywhere in the world, right? We can write, give me a, a piece of paper and a pen, I'll write anywhere, right? Um, where in the world are you right now? Where Geographically? Yeah. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. 
there's a whole lot of people here who are serious in the information space, writers. So it's a wonderful place to be. I didn't come here because of that, but the connections have been fabulous. I kid people. I mean, there's really kind of a pull here to Franklin. And a lot of people have moved here, but I tell people it's the intellectual capital of the universe. That's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah I'm familiar. You've got, you've got quite a few people down there and a lot of technology going on right now too. So, Yes. Very cool. Uh, so do you consider yourself a storyteller? I do. I mean, that, that really is a requirement of being a good writer. You can't just write intellectual content. I mean, you don't have to. I, I could not write fiction to save my life. So I'm not talking about creating that kind of story, but even in sharing improvement principles, ways to make your life better, it requires story to engage people in the process. And have you always considered yourself that kind of a storyteller in some way? I mean, did that start way back when you were younger? No, not really. I have learned to be a better storyteller because I realized how, what an effective writing tool it is. I initially kind of separated myself from the real life stories, even in my own life, and thought that I could just write business and personal development principles. But, I, but as I would speak and share a little bit of my story and then realize that's what people remember. That may be the only thing they remember is how I wove something into an actual story. So I've become, I've, I've studied it as with anything having to do with writing. I mean, it's, I mean, you're no more a natural writer than you are a natural brain surgeon. You learn how to do it well. I think sometimes people try to bypass that critical step, but I study the craft of writing and have for years. And in doing that, have learned how to weave stories in, in a much more effective way. What do you think the best way to learn that kind of a skill? It's not, like you said, it's not just writing uh, information, it's telling that story, right? So a beginning, a middle and an end, a little bit of a narrative. Where do you go for either your inspiration or for your instruction or both? I go to a lot of people who are mentors, who are leaders in that space. But people like Donald Miller with StoryBrand. I mean, Donald loves movies, and he sees everything as a movie script. There are seven basic components of it. And you start out, you know, so who is the character? And, you know, who's going to be the hero of the story? And then who's going to be the guide? So I, I frame things even as I write through a framework. I use a framework from Ray Edwards. He uses a PASTOR formula, P-A-S-T-O-R, as an acronym, and a way to shape your story to engage people and move them through to a call to action. So, you know, those are a couple of people that come to mind, Ray Edwards, Donald Miller. I mean, there are certainly others. Um, Jeff Goins is a masterful writer in terms of how he weaves a story through an entire book, even if it is a personal development book. Stephen Pressfield, his material has been very helpful to me in learning how to write better. And so other than instruction, do you get inspiration from others as well? Is there a fiction writer that you really love or some kind of other storyteller, even outside of writing? You know, is there a storyteller that you love to listen to or watch? Yeah, there is. Andy Andrews is the absolute master in that space. He is the most amazing storyteller I've ever heard in my life. His books are like that, and his books weave in 
personal development principles, but there's always a storyline in there. And you really can't tell how much is from his own real experience. He just blends so beautifully fiction and nonfiction principles. But he's he's a master in that space. That's cool. How do you find you know when we talk about a lot of these writers here that you're talking about? Obviously, you're you're on a on a, on a podcast yourself, the Forty Eight Days Podcast. Do you find that um, different platforms make it? <sighs> the, the different platforms drive you to tell a story in a different way. Yes, they do. I mean, I spoke recently at. CES conference in Orlando, and the room was full of people who sell online, Amazon sellers, eBay sellers. So I framed the stories in a way that would connect with them, knowing what they do. So I do that. Yeah, I want to be very clear about who I'm speaking to. Now, when you write a book, you don't have that specifically, maybe an audience in front of you, but at the same time, you're writing to somebody. When I do my podcast, I'm speaking to a real person, not just to a general audience. I'm speaking to Tom and to Mary and to Dan and to Betty. And I, I see those people. And of course, in my podcast, I answer questions. So I visualize the person that I'm responding to even as I speak. And excuse me, do you, um, do you find that that same kind of writing that you can do for a book when you plan that story out, does that transfer over into other like social media, let's say, or blogging? If, if I consider myself a writer, do I have to consider myself a book writer only or, or does, it, does it cross different uh, platforms there too? No, it crosses. We have somebody in our 40 Days Eagles community that just volunteered to put together a compilation of short inspirational pieces from people in the community as kind of a New Year's gift to the community. So he, he's now got 256 contributions. Those needed to be, in order to make this project work, between 250 and 300 words. That's very short. Mm -hmm. I submitted 12 <laughs> because I took other stories that I've used in my books and other places and simply made them fit that format. But you can still, you can tell a remarkable story in 250 words to engage people and share with them something of value. It was, it was, it was Hemingway told a story in six words, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Before or, Twitter. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Our cat in the hat, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I love it. I, what, I, uh, I do ahead. a piece every Sunday morning, Dan, mm -hmm. uh, for the people in my mastermind. I call it Sabbath Musings. And it's just one short piece. It's like a long blog, but it always involves a story. In this last week's edition of that, I told about going with my wife and my brother and sister-in-law out to Leapers Fork, just outside of Franklin here, and we had lunch at Joe's, Joe's Natural Foods. Well, Joe, in getting to talk to Joe, Joe was a hedge fund manager on Wall Street. His wife was a litigation attorney. They were making incredible amounts of money. But they thought something was missing, and they discovered a new kind of rich. Now they wake up to the rooster at 4.30 a.m. trying to imitate Pavarotti, according to Joe, <laughs> and hearing the other 50 animals they have on their farm. And I go through you know, how they've discovered a new kind of rich. I said, you may have a richness in your life that you haven't yet recognized. 
You may be a failure by other people's standards, yet be an amazing success as a husband or daddy, as an example. But just a short story like that leads right into really profound principles. And then people remember the principles because it's connected to that guy that was a hedge fund manager. And now he wakes up with a rooster because they don't even use air conditioning. They get their windows open year round. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a, that is a great way, isn't it? That's a good connection of, of the, yeah. the, the details, right? Yes. I love that. What What is your favorite part about storytelling? Is it in, like engaging the audience or getting the story out or helping others? What's your favorite part about all this? I really, I, I love the process of writing. I'm energized and inspired by solitude. So I don't have to be around people or on stage in front of an audience. That really is kind of a byproduct. And I can do without a whole lot of that. Now, I need to see the response of people, hear the response of people, certainly to keep going and know that I'm on track and touching people. But I do that in many, many ways. But when I really want to write, I like to do that in solitude, craft the story, work with it, revise it, and then share it. So you don't mind the editing part of and revising part of writing? No, not at all. <laughs> I no. hate that part. <laughs> I do, yeah. I do. I, 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 write, I write very freely. Uh, initially, and then I go back. But just like just like having to submit those little short things that needed to be no more than 300 words, most of those in starting out in my natural writing are going to be 1,000 or 1,200 words. Hmm. But so it's, so it's a challenge. And okay, how can I take that down, remove unnecessary words, unnecessary tangents, perhaps, in that, and still have the essence of the story cleanly in only 300 words? It's really, I, I see that as kind of a fun challenge. Okay. Fun challenge, a better way to look at it than a, than a chore, right? <laughs> so is, the, is getting into the mindset of revision and editing different from getting into the mindset of actual creating the story? It is. I mean, creating ought to... I mean, you, you can't critique every word as you're writing it and write well. So I write very freely. I just let it flow and get it out there, knowing that then there will be an editing process. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't need to be extensive. I mean, when I write things that are that are blogs or even content for a book, it's not like I, you know, write for six hours and then edit for 10. No, I mean, I may write for an hour and take 15 minutes to edit, to really polish it. So, you know, I'm pretty comfortable writing in a way that's going to be fairly clean for its final version. So let's say Dan Miller is getting ready to write a new book. You start, you start thinking about this process. What do you do first to get into the mindset of, of writing in order to be that storyteller? I do a proposal just like I were going to submit it to a publisher. Even if I'm considering doing it on my own or in some other way. But just framing it, the whole thing is extremely helpful for me. I don't just sit down and start writing kind of stream of consciousness and hope that it leads to something else. Again, writing fiction, you may use that process, but not the kind of writing that I do. I create a framework where I do a proposal that includes what are competitive, uh, competitive analysis. You know, what are other books that are already in this space? What am I going to add to the conversation that's not already being said? And then I structure it. How is this going to flow? If there's going to be 10 chapters, what are the chapter titles and a synopsis of each chapter going to be? Working on the proposal may be a more arduous, lengthy process than actually writing the manuscript. So I really work from a structure 
And then once I get the structure built, then I use Scribner. I put it into Scribner so then I can write something. And then I'm halfway through chapter three. And I think, now, wait a minute. That would have fit better in chapter one. So I can move things around once I have the skeleton built for that. So I don't write in one long document. I write in sections that I can move things around freely. Do you find that you need to have a muse of some kind? I mean, do you wait for the creative bug to hit you? Or is it more of a, if I'm, if I'm consistent, I'm creative? How does that work for you as a writer? Yeah, I never wait for a muse. No, not at all. I mean, writing is something that I do. I mean, that's just like saying, I'm going to wait for inspiration to brush my teeth. <laughs> I don't do that. I just do it because it's part of what I do every morning. And writing is the same way. If I know that I've got a piece that's going to be due on um, tomorrow, I mean, I, I don't wait for anything. I just sit down and start writing. But, you know, it, being a, a writer, I, I'm also a voracious reader. I have thousands of ideas that are percolating at any given time. I'm never at a loss for ideas or starting points or illustrations. And I just had some guys just a minute ago just drive off my property here. Well, these guys are trimming trees in the neighborhood. They trim around the power lines. Because they do that, these guys are not arborists. They, they are tree whackers. So they come <laughs> out. Everybody hates these guys. They really do. They hate these guys because they come through and they just whack off the side of a tree because it's within 25 feet of a power line. They are concerned about what it looks like. So everybody hates them. You know what I do? I befriend these guys. I go out on my property and help them. I mean, literally help work with them so that we create things that look better. And then what else happens? They bring me wood chips. I've just had six loads in the last couple of days dumped on my property. Wood chips that I use on my nature trails, in the playground areas for my kids, landscaping areas. I mean, most of it is cedar, this rich smelling wood chips. And people, you know, my neighbors are like, gee, how'd you get so lucky? You know, can I buy some of that? I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. It was free. But it, now in that, see, there's a story instantly in there. Instead of seeing these guys as mortal enemies, I know they're doing something that is of value to me and my neighbors. They really are. It's just in the way they do it, they're not seen as being valued. I befriend them and end up getting blessings bestowed on me in all kinds of ways as a result. I spiff them, you know, I give them 20 bucks here and there when they come in, you know, mm -hmm. randomly. I, I just view it differently. But there's a story to be told in just that kind of an example. And those things happen every single day. Yeah. It's that, that pay it forward in order to see the world differently kind of a thing, right? Absolutely. I love that. What would you say your biggest challenge in storytelling is, whether it's writing or telling a story through a podcast or on stage? What do you, what's, your, what's your personal biggest challenge with that? I, I've always struggled with being... I'm not good with humor. You know, I'm not a comedian. And I know that in front of live audiences, especially, entertainment goes a long way. Entertainment carries you through when you really even have weak content. Well, I really focus on the content, but I'm weak on introducing humor and really entertaining people. I need to work more. I'm always working more on even body language. You know, I think about people like Zig Ziglar, you know, who he'd come over the side of the stage, his tone would change and get down on one knee. He was so dramatic in his presentation. I don't do that well. That's something that I'm continually working on. I'm way too cerebral. I'm way too intellectual 
in even presenting content that I know is valuable. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that's a different way to be dramatic, obviously, you know, orally rather than as you're telling a story in a, in a writing format then, right? Yes, it is. It is. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable uh, crafting that and massaging that in a printed form. But even there, I need to be more comfortable with just entertainment and humor, seeing those as valuable components of effective writing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm, I'm loving the conversation. Dan Miller from 48 Days is joining us. 48 Days is the work you love and 48days.com uh, joining us today on the Storytellers Network. Talking story, talking writing, delivery. I love this. Um, how do you see media in general, whether it's social media or other digital media, affecting storytelling as an art form? Well, it's just so ubiquitous today. I mean, it's everywhere. We can't ignore it. I mean, you could pretend that it's not there, but it is. And we know people respond to it. With that, and this is something you know I experiment with, I can put something out there, a really solid principle about how to make a good career decision, a good life decision, how to improve your relationship, and it'll be crickets. And then I put out there, like recently I put out, I had a trap set on my property here. There's only one animal that I really don't tolerate, and that's skunks. I like to remove them from my property. But I had a possum that got in the cage instead. So I came out, well, it's a possum. You know, they're kind of gross animals, but I, I don't mind them being around. So I opened the door. Well, I opened the door to the cage. And the possum sat there for (laughs) over an hour and a half. And I did a little video. I said, the door is wide open to freedom. And yet he sits there. I said, how many people does this represent? Where they're sitting there, there's no obstacle. And yet they're complaining about where they are. They're essentially trapped, feeling like they are. But there's no obstacle. And they continue to stay. Well, that got way more views and traction than any solid principle that I've ever shared on Facebook or Twitter. And, you know, I just, I I see that and I think, wow, in some ways, it kind of makes me sad that we have to do just goofy things, but it's those things that do get attention. And if we want to engage people, we have to be willing to go there. Well, and how interesting too, that you can have that real time, right? You can do a Facebook Live or Instagram Live now and tell that story real time. Whereas if you wanted to wait six months to put it into a book, is it still relevant? Would it have the same impact? I get to see it right there with you. I get to be there with you. How, how exciting is that, right? It really is. Yeah, we, we have such an easier path to communicate with people instantly than we used to. Yeah. I mean, you, you can write something. I mean, the, the traditional process of writing and getting it in the book and in the bookstores is two years. Hmm. Well, there are a lot of things that don't have a lot of relevance because there was a window of opportunity for them being relevant. You know, it's something in the political arena or whatever. We know the, the time window is really short. Mm. Well, fortunately, we don't have to wait for a two-year cycle. There are ways to get things out there. You can do a blog post. You can do something on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can do an ebook this weekend and have it up on Kindle on Monday morning. Mm. I mean, so, so there are ways, legitimate ways to get writing out there very quickly. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you, now, when, now, as you're coaching folks and writing about examples, let's say, you know, is how to get to the work you love and not be trapped by that open door, uh, like a pos, uh, do you find that there's a difference between telling positive stories versus negative stories? 
the 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 man or woman who made it versus the the man or woman who is still stuck in that rut? Is there a balance to be had there between positive and negative? Yeah, there is. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I've been doing a podcast for a very long time. And in that, what I do is respond to listener questions. Well, listener questions are, gee, my job sucks. My boss belittles me. What should I do? They tend to be negative, the questions. And I had listeners challenge me. This has been several years ago now, but challenge me saying, you know, we hear you answer all these questions. Everybody's struggling. Does anybody ever really make it? Is anybody successful? And, I, and it was like one of those V8 moments, Dan. I mean, I should have <laughs> banged my forehead when I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Well, I get those stories sent in to me every day. We get thousands of stories sent to us about success stories. And I thought, I'm not sharing those. And it makes people think that there's nothing but continual challenges out there. So I change. So I have about a third of my podcast at this point are success stories. Good news, success stories, what people are really doing that are knocking it out of the park. And we have, I mean, it's it's delightful to be able to share those. But I had a guy just recently who was working as a photojournalist for a magazine, making $32,000 a year. Called in, we answered some questions, some things to give him some ideas, how he could leverage that. He really enjoyed what he was doing, but how are you going to make that work, making that kind of money? He took what he knew as a photojournalist and created a little course for parents on how to take better photographs of their kids in sports. Now, think about the hot button that that is. You know, your kid's playing first base on his little league team, and you are able to take a really cool picture of that, capture that. He launched that course and in the first 24 hours made more than his annual salary. Wow. I mean, I love those stories. And so I do, I do, I tell a lot of those stories. And so there is that balance. You know, the negative can kind of, people can identify with that. But then I want them to hear stories about somebody like Vincent who, hey, they are at the same place you think you are. They were there two years ago, but this is what they did to change. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. You, you mentioned earlier, Dan, your inspiration comes a lot from being a voracious reader, a lot of ideas going on in your head. Do you have another inspiration? You know, um, is there a thing that gets you really geared up to, man, I can't wait to sit down and write this particular project? Well, I, I'm inspired by a lot of things. Now, the input that I get, certainly reading, I still love physical books and I read a lot of books. But in the mornings, as part of my morning routine. I mean, I, I don't get up and grab my phone. You know, I don't turn on the TV. God forbid, I don't do any of that thing. I want to control what goes into my mind. So everything feeding into my mind in the first two hours that I'm up is just pure, clean, positive things. So part of that is being on the treadmill for an hour. Like this morning, I listened to three podcasts, three different podcasts. I can vary the speed on those so I can get a lot of content in. But those inspire me. I have a pad on my treadmill. I, I have built-in TV, but I don't, I don't even hooked up. I could care less about that mm-hmm. because I listen to podcasts. And I'm taking notes. So by the time I get off that, I've got an entire page of notes. When The page that I wrote this morning, I've got a long page of things that I wrote while on the treadmill. And those are things that inspire me and give me kicking off points for writing that I'll be doing for the next year. Oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. Start your day off with mental meditation and physical exertion in order to, to get the juices going. Absolutely. Good advice for listeners, for sure. If you could tell 
one last story, if you only had in you one story to tell, what, what do you think that would be? Wow, that's a big question. Only one story to tell. You know, I'm sitting here in my office. I work out of a converted barn on the back of our property, Dan. And in the little alcove here, there's a beautiful painting done by a young man who came to me, very frustrated. He was pastor of a Baptist church. He had had a real dramatic change in his own life. and He thought the most godly thing he could possibly do is be a pastor. So he went to seminary and was ordained and as pastor of a church, but it was a miserable time. Mm. And he came into, he was working, you know, they were paying him peanuts. He had five small children. He was working nights as a desk clerk at a local hotel just to try to keep the lights on. Came in to see me and I'm like, man, who sold you this bill of goods? And he was really taken back. He thought, what do you mean? You know, am I not doing the most godly thing in the world? I said, absolutely not. It's not a fit for you. You're, you're a poser. You're an imposter. Wow. You're trying to be something you're not. I said, what is it that when you're doing it, you really come alive? And he said, oh my gosh, I go into one of the rooms in our little rented house. I close the doors. I put on Beethoven or Mozart and I paint. I just do these real dramatic abstract paintings. He had never sold a thing. I had him quit everything he was doing immediately. And for four years, he did faux finishes on walls, using brushes, sponges, rags to create these dramatic effects. But that gave him the freedom to do these magnificent paintings that he does today. He does nothing but music-themed paintings. Hmm. Now, in that transformation, it puts him in a zone. He's introverted. He hated what he was expected to do as a pastor. Hmm. As an artist, he has come alive. His income is at least 10 times what he was making. I mean, he's been extraordinarily successful Hmm. as an artist. And the other thing is, he didn't walk away from any kind of calling or even ministry. He said, as a pastor, people knew what to expect of me. But now I'm a painter. I'm in their homes. They share their hurts, their fears, their vulnerabilities. I have way more opportunity to really speak into their lives now than I ever did as a pastor. I mean, that's a beautiful story of transformation. It's very individualized. I'm not a painter. I couldn't do that. I mean, we, we throw the adage around, you know, starving artist. Well, I would never direct somebody into that unless that was uniquely an application of a blending together of passion and talent. And in doing so, when we find that, I mean, that's the kind of thing that never ceases to inspire me. And I get to work with people like that day after day after day. That's, that's one example of a story. That would, that would be a good one to go out on. So <laughs> that's, that's incredible. So you had him quit his calling, quote unquote, in order to go into his true calling and really That's exactly. be a minister. That's beautiful, Dan. I love that. Why do you think we love stories like that one so much? Just stories in general. Why do we crave stories so deeply? I think there are parts of it that we identify with, but they're easy to remember. If, if, if a principle is wrapped around a story, you know, the story is what we remember. Wow. It's a guy walking through the woods on a stormy night and a bear approaches or whatever. But it's when it's connected with something visual like that. I think it, it, get, it taps into the right side of our brain as well as the left side. The left side is going to you know, get the principle to change our lives ultimately. But the right side of our brain is that artistic, creative side. And we remember those stories. We remember stories in our own lives, things that we learned along the way through a process of story, not just the principle itself. That's yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a connection when you 
have a a, sto- a connection to a person as, as lame as that sounds, but it's, it is that, that connection though, to a, a storyteller that, that it, it reaches you deeply, doesn't it? I, I love that about it. It really does. I mean, Brenda Bouchard, you know, just a motivational guru out there. He talks about this story when he was 19 years old and he flipped a car, <clears throat> turned it over, had a horrendous car wreck <laughs> and he thought he was going to die. And then he did, but it was that, that triggered something in it. He talks about life's golden ticket. And that was an opportunity for him to say, you know, for some reason, God has given me another chance. I better make it count. And it changes life dramatically. But we remember the story of that horrendous car wreck and how that was a wake up moment for him rather than just kind of drifting through life as so many people do. Yeah. Instead of just saying, Hey, get your life together and let's do this. He, you can tell it through that personal experience and it connects with people. That's absolutely so true. Um, so a little bit of tactics here. Uh, storytellers that are listening right now and, and they want to be you know, writers in some way, whether it's uh, writing their own blog that turns into a book or whether it's self-published eBooks. Um, how are we supposed to get our stories out today? You know, there's, it's so noisy in the landscape of information. It is. How do we set ourselves apart as storytellers? I would still encourage people to start with the blog. There's no obstacle to that. You can have one up, you know, this afternoon. So I would still say, do that. Get it out there. A lot of people, it's like people who have an invention. And I've encountered this over the years where they make a better mousetrap or whatever it is. And so they don't want to tell anybody, you know, and then they go to China and get it produced. They have 10,000 of them in their garage. And now they're saying, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? How can I sell this? Well, that's a horrible overview. That, that would be a horrible thing to do. You want to share it with people from day one when you just have the idea. And I find a lot of people with their writing do the same kind of thing. They want to kind of keep it in secret, and then they're going to spring it on the world and hope it's a New York Times bestseller. The best thing you can do is share every word of what you're going to write in advance. It'll do nothing but give you great feedback. It'll help refine it and make it better. So put it out there in a blog. And there's really nothing I've ever done in a book that I haven't already shared in a free format in some way, whether it's an ebook or a blog. You know, just get it out there. And then it allows you to refine it as you go over time. In 48 Days to the Work You Love, you mean you mentioned that book. I mean, I didn't sit in a cubicle somewhere or go off to a cabin and write that. That was developed over a couple of years of teaching a Sunday school class where I had those real life stories. I had people testing principles I would talk about. And they'd come back and say, this didn't work, but this did. So it was out of real life experience that that came alive. So the writing was developed by interacting with people who are living life and going through those relentless, inevitable transitions that we all meet. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I encourage people to get it out there. Get it out there. If you've got a book that you want to write, do it in a short form. I mean, write 10,000 words and release it as an ebook. Give it mm-hmm. away. Give it away to a whole bunch of people. See what they, how they respond. And you can come back and revisit it. And even, even in the self-publishing arena, I mean, I, I started just providing people content they were asking for. I never talked to a publisher, a library, anything like that in those early years. And I sold several million dollars worth of my original version of 48 Days to the Work Club before I ever talked to a publisher. Mm. So it's not like you have to save everything. Just get it out there. Try it. And people's response will help you make it better. Hey, you mentioned uh, becoming a New York Times bestseller. You're, you're a bestseller. 40 Days to the Work You Love. No More Dreaded Mondays. Uh, wisdom Meets Passion. How did you get here where you are today? You know, I, we, we look at you. you know, you're, in, you're in Franklin. You're surrounded by friends like Dave Ramsey, Michael Hyatt, yourself. 
the, the, the Nashville media mafia, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you didn't start there. How did you get here? Well, that's a great question. And I'm very, very aware of some things that were very fortunate for me along the way. When it comes to writing, writing a great book, I mean, Mark Victor Hansen told me this years ago. I mean, Mark being the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm-hmm. I went to one of his conferences. As a matter of fact, Dave and Sharon Ramsey went with us back in 2002 to one of his Megabook University conferences. And I asked him about that. He says, Dan, everybody wants to be a writer. And what I tell them is this. Write a book. Do a really good job. You research it. Edit it. Do a really good job. Write a book. Now you're 10% finished. Hmm. 90% is how are you going to market it? What are you going to do to get it out there? That's a message that a lot of authors, a lot of writers don't want to hear. They want to write a book and think they're 99% finished. They're not. It really requires pushing the needle in some way to get it out there. So when my material came out, I started, I was on radio, I was on terrestrial radio for six years. So I had a listening audience there that I could promote that to. And then I got into podcast and it expanded my audience exponentially. So that's always been a big, big driver. Having a relationship with some of the people you already mentioned, Dave Ramsey, my gosh, there's really a day that's gone by in 25 years and he hasn't mentioned 48 days to the work you love. Mm-hmm. You're making $60,000. You get three stay at, a stay-at-home mom and three kids. You need to get Dan Miller's material on 48 days to the work you love to increase your income. Mm-hmm. Those things have been invaluable. I mean, Dave's influence in what has happened to me, I mean, was an integral part of my books becoming New York Times bestsellers. Relationships with people like Michael Hyatt. He has a massive audience, was former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. I mean, my goodness, having people like that who I've developed personal relationships with has fueled my success exponentially. And I could go on and on and on with names of people. So in as much as I'm energized by solitude, And like that, I recognize the necessity and the value, the absolute critical necessity of connecting with other people to move my message forward. I speak at conferences. I mean, I'm not a fan of airplanes and hotels. (laughs) I like staying right here in my property in Franklin, Tennessee. But I do that. And I've got next year lined out conferences I'm going to speak at because it, it helps expand my network dramatically. And it's a different platform or medium to tell a story, right? And as a storyteller, that's part of your makeup, I guess, right? It is. It's a great way to yeah. experiment with new content and get the audience response. I mean, I spoke at a couple of conferences just recently where my theme was the power of investing in yourself. And the story I start with there is when I was 13 years old, I got a hold of the little 33 and a third audio recording of Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret. I paid $15 for that. $15 then in today's dollar is $136.18. I just have to know that figure. So I was a 13-year-old kid. But that investment, I can track that investment right through to things that it led through, benchmarks in my life that have generated millions of dollars. So that was the story that I wove through that entire presentation. I have never had a presentation where I got as strong a visceral response from audience members as I have with that one. That's so cool. (laughs) Freed people up to say, oh my gosh, you know, I've never given myself 
permission to invest in myself. I thought I just had to help other people. No, invest in yourself and you increase your ability to help other people. That was the message. But I wove it through the story of that 13-year-old kid, Dan Miller, and what that $15 investment when my buddies were buying, you know, girly magazines, man, I'm buying the strangest secret. And what that's led to has been mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's funny. All your buddies are going, what are you doing? Just trust me. Just trust me. Um, uh, when, when, you are, when you do talk about investing in yourself, uh, what kind of an amount would you say writers uh, or, or authors ought to invest in themselves? You know, as kind of a benchmark. You know, if I'm thinking sure. about that, how, how much should I spend on myself, I guess? 3% of income starting from dollar one. Okay. I mean, if somebody's making 12 bucks an hour, 3% of that is going to be $58 a month. Mm-hmm. And where you can buy books, get a course, go to a conference as you move up. My recommendation is that when you hit $50,000 a year, you move that up to 5%. So that's $2,500 a year. But see that as a budget line item, not just if it suits, I can go to a conference. If it suits, I can buy a book or go see somebody or get coaching from somebody who's a little farther. No, see that as an investment. And I totally, 100% believe in, in that principle, every bit as much as I believe in tithing, where if you give 10%, somehow the 90% expands to be more than it would have been 100% on mm-hmm. your own. Absolutely. I believe in that principle, investing in yourself, 3% up to $50,000 a year and then 5% stay at that level and look for ways to do that. I mean, I bought two courses this week. I mean, I look for ways, how am I going to continue to invest that? Because I don't want to break the, the power of that principle in that, okay, no, I've learned enough now at this point. I, mean, I was at a conference recently, Dan, and somebody uh, I had multiple people come up and say, oh, when are you speaking? Well, I'm not. Well, what do you mean you're not? Well, I'm not. I paid full price for a ticket, just like you did, to sit in the seat here and learn. And somehow the impression is that if you get to a certain level, then you don't have to worry about, you know, buying books or studying or going to workshops and similar. That's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I look for opportunities to continue my learning so that I don't break the cycle of the things that have happened. And truly make it, like you said, a, a, a line item. So that even if you, you're never done learning, so that's a great that's a great piece of advice, Dan. I appreciate that. When, Man, if when, I ever stop learning, dig a hole and push me. <laughs> in. Right. When you do go to conferences to speak, do you do you try to make it um, an event for yourself to go learn as well, or are you there to strictly perform and then, or does it does just all depend on on the conference? Man, I, that's a great question. I mean, I'll I'll be uh, I'm doing a panel at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego coming mm-hmm. up. I'm there. From the minute it opens till the minute it closes. I'm not one of these guys, and I won't mention any names, God forbid, who show up five minutes before I'm going to speak, get on stage and speak and out the back door. No. If a, if a conference has enough value for me to invest my time as a speaker, it has enough value for me to be there for the duration of the conference. I mean, my gosh, think about it. If I can't sit in that seat and hear four other speakers and learn something, Something's terribly wrong. I don't want to be involved at the conference that would be like that. Mm-hmm. But I fully expect that I'm going to sit there and I'm going to learn just as much as everybody else. And I'm going to find an idea that's going to increase my success exponentially. So I'm there for the whole thing every yeah. time. That's really smart. I, lo- I love that. I, I think I'll be the same way as I get 
into those stages a little more and so forth. I, I've been at a few conferences myself and I, yeah, I, I love presenting and, and performing as it were, but I love the connections, the networking, the other sessions. It's just, it's such a huge value. Yeah, absolutely. When, at what point in your life so far did you realize that you've made it or, or have you made it yet? What's your next thing? <laughs> wow. That's, that's interesting. I would never give myself the liberty to say that I've made it. Somehow, it, it goes in the same category as retirement, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I have enough for myself. So I'm just going to unplug and just kind of veg out for the rest of my life. I mean, that, that's just such a horrible concept. I can't get my head around it. I mean, I think if God has given me a talent to share and inspire other people, that's something that doesn't go away. That's not just dependent on, do I have enough food in the refrigerator for myself? It's not connected to that. As long as I have the ability to share and to help others and inspire others, I'm going to continue doing that. It has nothing to do with, have I made it? Now, there have been some benchmarks, Dan, I'll have to admit. (laughs) I mentioned that little audio recording, The Strangest Secret. So I was 13 years old. I became a voracious student and customer of Nightingale Conant. I bought those cassette tapes by Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Dennis Waitley and Norman Vincent Peale and all those old masters of achievement. Tons of them. Well, a few years ago, Nightingale Conant reached out and contacted me. I had never even dreamed of it and said, we've tested your material. Would you be willing to come to Chicago and create a six-hour program on your dream job? I'm like, whoa, yeah. (laughs) So I did. I went there. We created this amazing product that has just been a profound piece of what I've done. Now, in some ways, I when I tell that story, I talk about this 13-year-old kid, and here's this little audio recording, Strangest Secret. That was the first product of Nightingale Conant. Now, I've got Dream Job. Here's another really cool thing, and I'll bring this full circle. About a year ago, Nightingale Conant sent me a list of the top 30 programs as rated by their customers all time. So 50 years in existence, all those great programs out there. Number three on that list is Dan Miller's Dream Job. Now get this, number four is The Strangest Secret. (laughs) Their initial landmark product is number four. The one that started the company, the one that inspired me, my product that I did with them. I mean, so to go from that 13-year-old kid to being included in what I consider the master of achievement, that was a landmark event for me. And in many ways, I mean, that kind of bookended my life. If my life ended, yeah, I've had an amazing, wonderful life. But I didn't stop there. That didn't stop me. That's not enough to say, okay, I've made it. I'm done. No, I continue. I mean, I've got more projects in the air, more ideas about creating new content at this stage of my life than I've ever had. That's awesome. What a great story. And speaking of all that content, um, where, where can people find that content? What's the best way to get in touch with you? There are really two places. 48days.com is where we have a lot of content. If somebody wants to be a writer, if they want to just find a better job and get promoted, be an entrepreneur, I mean, resources in a very traditional way. We have thousands of resources there, articles and resources for people. And then I've got this kind of exciting thing that we've got, the 48 Days Eagles community, which is people who are saying, I don't want my life to be mediocre. I've got an idea. I want to expand on it. But I need some other people to brainstorm with. 
Well, that's what the 48 Days Eagles community is. So 48dayseagles.com, it's an exciting community that's growing by leaps and bounds. And it's people who are really making a difference and helping other people elevate their success as well. That's so cool. Well, Dan, I appreciate your time today. Dan Miller, 48 Days of the Work You Love and No More Dreaded Mondays. Great title, by the way. And uh, Wisdom Meets Passion. Just so much, obviously, going on. So, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and, uh, man, and tell your story. Any, any, uh, last, any last sage advice for those storytellers out there listening? Well, yeah, here's, here's a piece of advice. It's never too late to have a new beginning. I mean, that just uh, sometimes people think, well, I wish I could have done what you did. I wish I, you know, would have done something sooner, but now it's too late. No, it's not too late. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88. It's never too late to have a new beginning. So if you get an idea, you know, nurture it, bring it to life, share it with the world. I'm sure you've got a message to share and an audience to serve. That's awesome. What a, what a great last piece of advice, Dan. Well, again, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate every, every minute of it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Dan. It's been a delight being your guest. I love your questions. So thank you again to our guest, Dan Miller of 48 Days. Man, what a great conversation that was. I'm so glad he was with us. I had a ball talking to him. How lucky am I that I get to sit down with him for almost an hour and just listen, right? I love it. Uh, be sure to visit Dan online at 48days.com as you heard. You can find all the links in our show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, email, text it to somebody. Anywhere you can share with other storytellers is always helpful. And please consider leaving us a review. And I'll even maybe read some as we move forward here. To our partners at Casterly and Podcast Pilot, thank you. Thanks for making the world of podcasts a better place. Jamie J and the team are terrific humans in general. And you'll be better off knowing them. Trust me. Without their support, the Storytellers Network would be just a dream. So until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.